Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I am your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and today we are going to dive into aligning your operations with your values in your business. Um, before we go in, a few things. First of all, you may notice that this is the spot that we usually have an energy reading for the month ahead. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to be on pause from those. Well, maybe not unfortunately, perhaps unfortunately for you. And I do apologize because I know many of our listeners find these monthly business energy readings really helpful and supportive and that they're some of your favorite parts of the podcast. However, in order to stay in alignment uh, and kind of ethical, frankly, with uh, the spirits that I work with, this stream that I work with and a kind of a personal deepening um, initiation that I'm in, I have been told I'm not really allowed to do that right now. <laughs> this isn't the first time that's happened to me. And I know many of you are spiritual practitioners and you may be familiar with the idea that at certain squeeze points in your spiritual development um, and education, that things that used to be available to you are no longer available to you. And this has happened to me with tarot before and divination in general. And it's happening again now. Largely, this is because, as I've mentioned in the past few energy readings, I'm starting to really work actively within a different cosmology. I no longer read with the Rider Waite um, for my own personal divination or for my public divination at this point. And as I shift and expand into more formal training in a cosmology that I have been working in, um, mostly unconsciously, but I'm now consciously working within. I am at a real Dunning-Kruger kind of place where I know how much I don't know <laughs> and um, I'm not, yeah, that's just not really available to me right now. So instead of trying to force it and do it because I think I have to, because this is a responsibility of mine in this context, I'm, I'm going to actually listen to my spirit friends and, you know, be a responsible participant in the stream that I work in. So I'm hoping they'll be back. I'm hoping they'll be back soon. I don't really have a timeline. It's definitely my goal to bring them back. But for now, that's why we're not doing them. And again, I'm sorry if that is something that you really enjoy. Um, it's a hard decision for me to, well, it's not a hard decision for me, honestly, because of the relationship I have with, with my practice. But, um, you know, I'm sorry that I'm not able to fulfill on that at this time. And I also like to share this because I imagine some of you have run into this and maybe you haven't heard other people talk about that before. I think it probably depends on the context and the tools that you're using. But if you do spirit work, if you do divination that is spirit work related, if you if you're using tarot or other tools in a divinatory manner and less in a psycho spiritual manner, then you're most likely engaging with uh, relationship-based divination where you are getting support from from spirits, from, from guides, from things outside of yourself in other realms. And those relationships have to be honored. And if you're told now is not the time and you have a good relationship with them, not all relationships are ones where you can, you should listen to, to being told that. But um, if you have ongoing relationships that you've developed and there's trust, then it's important to listen to it. So that's where I'm at with that right now. And some of you might recall that a couple of years ago when I made this shift to really going all in in business coaching, you know, not only was that because I could see the need that my skills were more required in this area than as a reader or, or a healing facilitator, but also it was because 
I went through another squeeze point in my practice and was told, you don't get to do this anymore. Um, so that's where we're at. Hopefully it'll come back. It will. <laughs> I don't know the format yet. <laughs> some of the, some of the initiatory work is giving up things, uh, wh whether or not we know we'll get them back. You know, there are no guarantees on that. So that's where we are. We won't be doing energy readings for a while. Sorry about it. Good news is there's tons of brilliant readers. <laughs> so you can listen to somebody else's podcast <laughs> or go to somebody else's Instagram feed for that content right now. Um, but I wanted to talk about operations. I alluded to this in our last um, episode, I believe, and started to go off on a bit of a rant. I'm trying to kind of keep it together today. Um, also in full candor, it's my show, so I get to do this. I have uh, just started my period. We finished a big launch last week and I am sick. So I am going to, again, do the best I can today. But if this one's a little bit wandery, you know, sorry about it. This is what you get. <laughs> but I think we have some really great points to talk about today. So for some of you, this won't really apply yet. You might not think of yourself as even having operations. The reality is you do. Even if you are just starting your business, you have operations. One of the ways that I think about operations is just everything that's behind the scenes. Essentially, how do you run the business? And that can include finances, that can include all your systems, any structures, any processes you follow, um, that can include customer fulfillment. Operations can technically include things like implementing launches, right? The strategy of it might be sales and marketing, but how you actually do the thing can fall under the umbrella of operations. Definitely, if you work with contractors or you have employees, that falls under operations. And often finance and things like that do too. Um, for me, I'm really thinking of it as back of house, behind the scenes. Um, yeah, you know, the <laughs> if, if, if you're like, this is like where the stage manager runs the show, okay? Uh, if you're a theater kid like me, this is like stage manager realm. Every business has operations, again, whether you're thinking about it like that or not. But if you're new to your business in your first couple of years, uh, or you aren't looking to kind of grow beyond yourself, first of all, totally valid. And I say this all the time, but I just want to reiterate, you do not have to have a business. You do not have to want to scale a business. You do not want to have to have a team or hit a certain revenue goal. You make your own goals. Um, but today I am going to be talking really specifically to those of you who are looking to grow a team and have as a result, we'll have bigger operations, but those of you who don't have that interest or are earlier stages of your business will definitely get something out of this conversation. Because what I've started to notice, and I say this with generally a lot of love um, and compassion because I, of course, always realize there's things that I'm doing that are not aligned with my values or assumptions I've made that actually can be done differently. This is, this is the big process of um, actually applying our values in the world is finding those places where we are not actually following them. That's normal. Um, but I started to notice over the past few weeks, really acutely, some folks that I, I admire. Um, and again, I'm not going to get into specifics here because that's it's really not the point. This is not intended as like a podcast subtweet of folks. Um, I just often see trends in the market, trends in what people are doing, and that's what I'm jumping off of. But I started seeing people who have, um, who I view as being, yeah, people, you know, people I admire uh, or people who are kind of leaders in my field. And their forward-facing hiring practices seemed really out of alignment with the values that they presented. And again, I say this with a lot of compassion because I think this is, this is a natural kind of evolution where you start to realize you're doing things that don't actually align with what you want to do. I've talked at length in the past about how we've, especially in our evergreen funnels, shifted, I mentioned this last week, shifted out of a lot of time urgency language 
which frankly we weren't very big on in the first place. Um, but you know, I kind of constantly kind of notice things that we can kind of tweak and refine. And as I mentioned, the reality is our conversion rates have gone down since we've done that, which says a lot to you about sales psychology and behavioral um, behavioral economics. But it's not worth it to me to manipulate people <laughs> uh, in order to get more sales. Um, I'd rather have the longer term relationship, even if folks end up not making a buying decision at that time. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather y'all feel good about it. Right. So you notice things. I catch things all the time or, you know, even my team will be like, hey, this doesn't seem like this lines up with what you're saying. Do you actually want to do that? Which I love. I love it when other, you know, that's one of the big advantages of a team. So seeing that start to come through in things like hiring practices and operations is really not abnormal. A lot of times if you run a business, you think a lot about your very forward facing things. Am I selling this? Am I marketing this in a way that aligns with my values? Is the product itself aligned with my values? Am I actually honoring myself and the customer in this transaction? But the reality is that you have an entire structure, an infrastructure, a framework for your business that you may not be looking at it the same way. So today I want to talk particularly about hiring. I want to talk about team management and I want to talk about project management and how these things maybe we want to get a little curious about. Now, this is definitely a I'm bringing you along on the journey with me kind of moment. I am at a really critical place in our business. Yet again, this whole year has just been like weird growth challenges, which is fine. I'm here for it. Um, we just had our biggest Holistic Business Academy launch ever. And thank you to everyone who participated, by the way. If you're a brand new member, I'm so excited that you're here. This is, we have like welcome, welcome the most amazing members always in our community, but this last group that just came in, y'all are really cool, <laughs> doing really great stuff, really just fascinating work um, and really important work. And if you, you know, enjoyed the webinar, if you're, you know, whatever, or you just, you know, saw us posting a lot and liked and shared our stuff, which makes a massive difference in our launches, by the way, we still get the vast majority of our customers through organic reach. So if you shared something of mine, like, thank you so much for engaging and sharing our content. It makes a huge difference. Um, it's way more effective than ads. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping us reach the folks who need our work. I am starting to get more clear on some of our next steps business-wise. I really, you know, Holistic Business Academy has been validated as an offer for almost two years now. It works extremely well. Um, the new content is fantastic. People are getting amazing results. Our community is growing and just feels, it feels more supportive than ever. Uh, and we have so many people at different business stages, but really starting to together as a group support through this reimagining of business foundations at any stage. What that means is that I'm now starting looking at the next step, right? I'm like, okay, we've kind of hit a level that I was really, we hit a major goal actually. Um, oh, I should share that with y'all. Uh, the Holistic Business Academy now covers our operational expenses for the company. And by that, I mean payroll, contractors, and like our software expenses. So kind of all the non-negotiables in the business. And that is a huge milestone. Um, you know, HBA has long paid for itself. It's been quote unquote like profitable in the sense that I could run it without um, worry, but it didn't cover all of payroll. I was essentially being paid through other things that I was doing, um, coaching, group programs, um, others, whatever, right? Um, through our other, our other offers. And we're still going to be doing those things. Don't worry. That's kind of what I'm getting at, but you know, a huge milestone to have that covered. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I want to sit in that for a minute. It feels really fucking good. It feels so good that our operations are covered by this low cost product. I really just, you know, it's the kind of thing that people tell you you can't do. It's not possible. We did it. 
Um, and with that in mind, I'm really starting to hone in on what that next step looks like. Of course, continuing to refine and support everyone inside of HBA fully, but then also knowing that a lot of you are at that next level um, for kind of scaling and operations work. And that's what I'm starting to think about. Um, what is that next step? Because now there's a little bit of bandwidth for me to to imagine something, to imagine a new program. Here you're starting to hear it. There's a new program coming. And it's going to be much more expensive, to be super clear. It's going to be much more expensive, much more um, hands-on from me and my team. Um, and it's designed for folks at another level of business, right? This isn't going to be for those of you who are new um, or in your first couple years, and that's totally fine. HBA is a fantastic place to hang out. But this brings up a lot of these questions about hiring and operations. And if we're going to create really a premium product, something that I've avoided for many years, I think I kind of wanted to prove to myself that we could do what we did, that we could actually have a business with employees and pay people on a product that is under a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> and we did it. <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> uh, I wanted to prove that to myself and to you guys. I wanted to show you that it is possible, not necessarily easy, but totally possible. Um, so these things are really top of mind for me. What does the next stage of this business look like? And how do we start to maybe have a really premium kind of coaching uh, container? Uh, and what does that look like? And it's probably going to involve hiring and it's going to involve systems and it's going to involve operations and it's going to involve a lot of stuff that we've been working on. But now I get to think about it at a new level. So let's talk about what I mean when I talk about applying our values to this. So, for example... Um, one of the things that I've been seeing a lot that I'm finding really challenging is leaders in my field, in the, the business coaching space, um, hiring and not posting the pay for an employee job. Now, I know this is really common. Um, this is pretty much the standard, actually, like across the board. But I think it's really fucked up, y'all. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty fucked up. The idea that somebody has to engage with you and often what they're because often what happens is they're asking you how much money you want to make. Right. And the companies doing this are, quote unquote, feminist companies. These are companies where the owners know that especially non-cis men, uh, you know, women and queer folk and trans folk and non-binary folk like that, we're far more likely to undervalue ourselves financially, um, that there has been a historic pay gap. Uh, ongoing, especially with racial disparity as well, right? So asking people to say what they need to make in a position, I think is fundamentally manipulative. I understand that there is a desire sometimes in these solutions to kind of really see people who have the confidence to um, negotiate for themselves, that maybe that is something you're looking for as you're hiring someone. But what ends up happening is that you're really wasting people's time especially if they're not going to find out how much it costs until they get on the, or not how much it costs, how much the pay is until they get on an interview with you, right? They already have to fill out an entire application. Often these are not short applications, right? Um, entire application, they have to get booked for an interview. And then they find out if you're going to match what they said. The reason this irks me, and this is coming back, I mean, well, it irks me because I really think that um, you shouldn't ask people to apply for jobs without telling them how much it pays. And if it's a pay range, like, I think be honest about it. Um, I really don't understand. I can only see two reasons to do this. And one is that to hide it. And one is that you're hoping you'll get away with paying people less. And the other is that knowing that you're paying people too little and you don't want folks to find out. Um, I don't really understand the other arguments for it. Um, or I just think that there's better ways to find people who have certain kinds of confidence or skills than requiring them to overcome their deep conditioning to say how much money they actually want to make. 
And of course here we're talking about employees, right? We're not talking about business owners like me who have learned over time to confidently say what our right rates are, but that's taken me years to do. It's taken me years to get to a place, like I said, to even consider creating a really premium coaching program. Um, even though we have the skills for it, we have the information for it, I'm totally ready for it. To charge what I'm going to charge, it's a leap for me, but I've literally spent years getting used to charging stuff. Employees don't do that, right? That's actually like you're not selling yourself um, and selling your work is not really an employee skill in the same way. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at these hiring processes and I'm like, wow, why are we doing that? Right. And that's just this little example. But when you're starting to look at hiring folks, what are the things that are normal in the hiring process that actually don't align with your values? So for me, that's one, right? Especially in the hiring process, that kind of transparency of saying, here's what I can pay is important because here's the deal. There's no business out there that is hiring people, especially hiring employees without a budget. That, that That's bullshit, right? You know exactly how much you can afford to pay or what your stretch is, right? Oh, I could go up to this. Uh, it'd be hard, but we could make it work, right? You know what that is. And it is completely unfair to have people get excited about a job, apply for a job without knowing if it even meets their needs. Without And, um, you know, if it's a reasonable amount, then they'll probably feel reasonable negotiating with you if they want more. Um, so that's an example, right? Other hiring processings that I see, you know, we've done different things at different times, but, you know, the, uh, the, cause I ran into this a lot, like when I worked in magazines, for example, there are all these fucking tests, right? You're asking people to put a huge amount of labor into applying for a job. And something we've done in the past, it depends on the position we're hiring for, but when we've had folks need to do kind of more robust work, especially if it's work that we could actually use in the company. Yes, I'm literally thinking of like, you know, like writing tests where people are like, write us an article on spec to see if you'll get this job. And then, you know, of course they like steal your fucking article idea and don't hire you. Um, you know, we've paid people to do their tests in the past, depending on what the test is, right? If it's something that's pretty quick and doesn't require a lot of like creative effort or, or time effort for folks, um, sometimes we won't do that. I, I do have a kind of an internal structure where like what requires being paid. But if it's something that we might, like we would use, we could use in the company. So for example, when we were hiring um, for podcast edit, for uh, podcast post-production and somebody's writing show notes for us, I paid them because I could use the show notes, right? Like I, there, I wasn't asking people to do labor that we weren't going to pay for. So something like compensating people, if you have a lengthy test project time can be really important. Now, where that line falls is for you. Again, this is something we're kind of exploring. I'm like, if it takes you under 30 minutes, I think that's probably within the realm of possibility. If I'm asking you to do something that's going to take a couple hours, though, I think that's a lot to ask for folks. So you can think a little bit about that, but that's something things we've done in the past. So here in this hiring, think about your own hiring processes, right? When have you been hired and when has it felt like shit and when has it felt good? And what are some simple things we can do? Saying how much you're, you're able to pay people I think is a pretty simple one. Considering the amount of labor you're requiring, how many interviews, how many test projects, is that reasonable? Are they really necessary, right? And being upfront about, you know, what kind of benefits you have available, what if any, um, I think is really critical because when people are job searching, they're not just looking for something they love. <laughs> they're really looking for something that's going to support them. And that match is really important in order to ensure that your, your employees are properly cared for. So then when you look at this through the lens of like operations, right? And that's just some front facing examples because I saw that a lot recently and I just was a little saddened um, that so many people are, are not saying what pay is. 
Um, I also want to make a quick note because I think there's probably like a false corollary between that and um, like not having all your prices up like on your website all the time, like as a sale, like for sales, like we don't have all of our prices up all the time. Um, and I think that it's about the context, right? There, there's to me, there's something very different about making somebody get on like a sales call with you and then telling them that they're going to have to pay you like, I don't know, $50,000 or something um, instead of versus like, like that's to me is different. <laughs> um, I also would not recommend that, but there are, that's a whole different conversation. Um, so, but I do, you know, lean towards transparency and pricing or like before you ask folks having a big buy-in to let them know how much things cost and give them time to think about it, right? Not trying to force people on phone calls to make like super high investment decisions. That's just kind of gross. So, all right, that'll be another episode. Um, because we do stuff where things are available, like we make our prices available, but like, for example, my new project, we're probably going to have a very low key application that you have to fill out before you get all the information. And that's primarily because there's no point in us having a conversation if certain things aren't being met in your business. Um, most of my business products, you know, when you hear about them, like you come to a webinar or something, all the pricing is completely transparent, right? That's really on, that's on purpose. So that's kind of my thought on that. And that is kind of a corollary, but it's not exactly the same. But with this idea of like, you should tell people what you can pay them. <laughs> so from our operations perspective, then I think there's a few other things. The big one for me right now that I've been struggling with is how we manage things like time off, right? And not struggling. I worked through this, but I had a couple of days, which were really hard. Um, actually, starting this week, tomorrow, uh, I am not working on Fridays anymore. And I've been really scared to do that. I've been scared that I won't get enough work done. I've been scared that my team will think I'm like lazy or bad if I take Fridays off, uh, which is of course entirely in my head. I don't think my team thinks that about me. Um, and the reason I'm doing it is because first of all, I wanna test it. I'm kind of curious. We are a very service heavy business. We spend a lot of actual human interaction in our business. That's the, like, the primary thing we do, right? We are in the Facebook group. We are answering emails. We're doing coaching calls. This is not a low-touch business, even in the Holistic Business Academy, which is a very scalable offer. Um, so I'm kind of like curious. I'm like, can we take Fridays off? <laughs> can we do that? And the reality may be that for the entire team to have a four-day work week, that we're going to need more employees, so it's a little bit staggered, Right. I do think that not responding to customer inquiries for three full days would be a little bit long. We already don't check email on the weekends, um, but you know, when folks need stuff, they need stuff and paying customers, we can have healthy boundaries, but you know, so that was a big operational change. We don't answer email on weekends. Um, sometimes during launches we do, but not in general, but to me, like three days might be a little bit long if somebody actually needs something like they can't get into their portal that they're paying for. You know, I don't love that feeling for me, for somebody who cares a lot about customer support. But these operational questions, I'm asking myself, can we have a four-day workday? <laughs> four-day week, I mean, um, is that possible? Because my assumption is no. My baseline assumption is like, oh, no, we can't do that because we are a service-based business at its core, even though, again, we're completely scalable. So when you start to look at your operations, we're asking that same question. What are the assumptions you're making? And where are you feeling those kind of like friction points against it? Like, I feel a lot of friction against, um, you know, how many hours we're supposed to work in a day. And when we started hiring people, this was actually really hard for me because my conscious, my conscious value is that I don't want to put a number of hours on people's work day. I want them to get their work done. And if you can get it done in three hours, good for fucking you. Um, I mean, to be fair, there's a balance to be found. If somebody's consistently working three hours a day, they probably don't have 
um, enough projects that they're responsible for. And we could come up with some really cool things to do because there's always more to do in a business this size. But it was very hard for me when we started hiring people because even though that's what I believe, I had this deeply ingrained um, this ingrained habit belief, right, from our society that I was like, oh, if they're not working a minimum of 35 hours a week, I'm losing money. And I was like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> and I think that our operations are a place where some of these things might stay buried a little bit longer. I was really surprised to see that come up, to see this fear I had that people weren't working enough because I was like, oh, shit, that is completely antithetical to my value system. So I had to look at it and see why am I so obsessed with this? <laughs> and you know, what I realized ultimately was that I could make operations choices, even if I was uncomfortable with them based on my values, right? So no, um, anybody who works for us who is on salary, we are not tracking their time. Um, I don't keep track of how much they work. We had actually had a couple of features turned on in one of our softwares that I realized like subconsciously had me tracking people's time. Um, Everyone knew, I mean, they knew they were there, but like I was like using them like without even thinking about it to track people's time. So I turned them off. Um, you know, there's no longer like notification that somebody's on online, essentially, we turn those off. And it's been so helpful just to kind of make those like technical shifts. Um, for those of you who want to and click up, for example, there are a couple of features, like there's one that shows when someone's online and it's kind of mimicking a Slack feature. And I guess that we had it on and I noticed that I started to be like, oh, why isn't that person online? And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, you know, the tools we use shape the way we think. So I started making decisions based on my values, even though there was part of me that was really uncomfortable with them. Not the part that I wanted to listen to though, right? And as a result, of course, now um, I have more time because I am not consciously or unconsciously trying to monitor people's work time because that's just not the life I want. <laughs> it's also not the way that I want to value the people we work with, right? We want to have people in your company that you trust to do what they need to do and trust to have communication with you. Um, and if that's not happening, that's the issue. It's not micromanagement and monitoring of people that is that is going to solve that problem. So, you know, these are some kind of questions to ask yourself, right? What do I believe about how much we need to work? And you might be surprised by the answer. I was pretty shocked to find that that was like coming up for me in a big way when we did um, some hiring. And what do you believe about like a work week or a work day, right? And I'm sharing some of this right now because, again, my conscious values are very different than my apparently deep-rooted beliefs on these things. So it's important to ask the question and notice them to make sure you're making decisions from your place of your values. So this me taking Fridays off thing, it's a pilot program. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to see if everything falls apart. I don't think it will. And then I'm curious, longer term, is there a way for us to do this for everyone? Um, and again, that probably will only happen when we have at least another full-time employee so people can be staggered a little bit because I don't think that I'm okay with three days of people not getting email responses. But ultimately, for some of your companies, it probably doesn't matter, right? You could totally do three days without email responses. But thinking about why are we making these choices? Why are we making these assumptions? Another thing we did uh, is when we brought on our full-time employee, I had to really think about how we're going to handle things like sick leave, for example, right? Um, how are we going to handle things like paid time off and where are the kind of boundaries in there. And I was really excited to have the opportunity to, again, filter this through my values. So for example, um, we have unlimited single sick days, right? Um, there is kind of a cap in the sense that, you know, somebody can't just take off sick for an indefinite period of time without us doing an assessment <laughs> in the sense that there are like, I, I yeah, uh, we can't keep somebody on payroll indefinitely if they are sick, we'll have to make some kind of um, agreement, some kind of policy 
um, size of my business, we're actually not required to comply with the Family uh, Medical Leave Act, um, but we have decided to. Uh, so that is kind of how we're working on it. But on the very least, I was like, if somebody's sick, they should just take the fucking day off. Like, I don't want there to be paid sick days like as like a thing. Just take the day off. Of course it's paid. So our policy is a little bit more complicated than that. But essentially, if you're sick, you don't come to work, right? And if it's something that's ongoing, then we have to have a personalized discussion about the best way to support somebody. And those are some of the realities of being a really small business, right? I actually can't afford to have people stay on full time if they are unable to work for extended periods of time, but I can protect their job, right? I can say, you, yeah, I can follow the Family Medical Leave Act and say, okay, I can protect your job though. And I'd love to be at a place where we can do more than that and someday we will. But this is kind of those operational decisions where it's like, all right, what is actually feasible right now? Um, what can we do to help really support people? And ultimately, just letting people take off when they're sick is probably likely to mean that they won't get more sick, right? This is kind of fundamental. So these kinds of questions um, are, are really exciting to look at as you grow your business. And what are the assumptions that people are making in their businesses just because it's how it's always been done? I think I remember my last corporate job, I had like five paid sick days. Y'all, I'm chronically ill. That did not go super well, right? And I was often working from home part-time and like, it was just a mess. And it was really stressful because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. So I really try to think about that in our values and our operations. And then finally, let's talk a little bit about project management because this is a place where I think values can get really twisted. And I often see this even with solo entrepreneurs where we're like, we talked about this from the hard work versus, you know, hustle um, episode a few weeks ago, but where there's this sense of, you know, that if we have a project planned, that it can't adjust or change. And project management becomes this kind of like productivity, like hellhole, where structure becomes strangling. And this is actually an operational decision about how you're going to implement processes and projects in your company. This is not a given in your business that projects have to be rigid. Um, and I'd say the best project managers are actually not rigid at all. They are extremely adaptable and responsive. So I've been thinking about this a lot. We're going about to go in a big transition in terms of our project management in the company. I'm trying to think, how do we manage projects in a way that is aligned with our values? And I've come up with a few things. So again, I'm sharing kind of examples. So you can start to think about this yourself. The first is that I value pre-planning quite a bit, it turns out. I value taking the time, and not in a rush, taking the time to try to think through the issues along the way. Now, it depends on the scope of the project, right? There's some projects where there are multiple, like, large chunks, and you probably can't plan all of the chunks in advance. You probably plan the first chunk and then kind of have a sketch of the later chunks. Some projects you can do the whole chunk in one fell swoop, right? Like a launch is a giant chunk project <laughs> versus, for example, when we created our partner, um, our partner program for HBA that had like three chunks to it that that kind of dominoed into each other. And what I realized for me personally is that for me, the pre-planning, knowing that we can't make everything perfect, but taking the time to think through potential challenges, potential friction points, to think about what resources people actually need or what they need to learn to do these things, I find that more relaxing than jumping into something at this point. And that's very different than I used to be. When it's just me working by myself, I will often jump into something and problem solve as I go. However, as a team, that creates a lot more stress and friction for folks because people end up trying to do things that they don't have the resources to do. 
and not not giving your team and your course yourself the resources and education and tools you need to complete a project is a fantastic way to create overwhelm and fear and anxiety as well because often what that creates in us is a feeling of not knowing what we're doing and that we're wrong, right? That we should be able to figure this out because somebody asked us to do it. And I don't like that feeling and I don't like seeing that feeling in our team. So I really value pre-planning. And the problem with pre-planning, if you will, is that it often is a bit of a slower process. This is, you know, you can't urgently pre-plan. That doesn't work very well. It often takes some time, takes consideration. It takes, it can take, I mean, days or even weeks for your brain to kind of think through the different possibilities and potentialities. Now, that kind of long a time frame maybe isn't always possible, but I like to think of the project starts with reflection, right? It starts with anticipation. It starts with really figuring out what resources need to be gathered for the project. My goal being that when we press play on a project, when it's implemented to the best of our ability, everyone has what they need to play their role. They are prepared. They are supported. And that questions arise, of course, because we can't predict everything and that's not really the goal, but they arise from a place of being supported and noticing holes in the project rather than feeling like they don't have what they need. And not everyone approaches things this way. Um, and that might, need be, not, might not be the right way for you. But for me as a company that's trying to achieve great things without buying into urgency, allowing that pre-planning stage is a very critical value shift for us. The second shift that we've really made in terms of project management is encouraging over communication. Now, this is a big shift for me personally. Again, I'm still mostly used to working by myself. Working with a team has required a much different approach to communication because, of course, um, everyone can't read my mind. I know. I know. Wild, right? And if you're starting to hire people, you're probably realizing this as well. Maybe you've hired a virtual assistant and be like, why aren't they doing anything? Well, they actually can't read your mind, it turns out. And if you have been working for yourself for a while, this is a massive skill shift to start to recognize that over-communication is likely necessary. And I'll say, especially if you're a remote team like we are. We are entirely remote, even though the entire team's in Asheville right now, but uh, we don't we don't have an office. We don't get together. Um, we work remotely. So over-communication then becomes really critical and we actually, um, we can link this up in the show notes. We started using a software called Twist, um, which is kind of a hybrid Slack adjacent, but without kind of this like rapid chat vibe. Um, we have really clear rules around communication in the company. We expect a t- maximum 24 hour response time, but you're also not expected to keep your chat windows open. I do not want people in the emails. I do not want people in the chat box all day. We recommend people check like two times a day, basically to make sure that they're up to date on any questions but that necessarily slows us down in a good way that helps again to remove this urgency there's no expectation if somebody sends a message in the you know at i don't know at 1 p.m that they're going to hear back before the end of the day or they might hear back right at the end of the day and get ready for the next day of projects right so with this kind of slower schedule that means that sometimes it takes a couple days to do things but it also means that there's a lot less stress but part of that less of stress, lack of stress comes from over-communication. So we really make an effort to ensure that we are saying everything, <laughs> even if it seems implicit. And this is a work in progress. But this idea of communication, um, you know, and not in a sense of being like, if it's not, you know, that, you know, writing it down is the only way that communication is valid. But as a remote team, we find that this makes things a lot less stressful for people. 
And by having a culture of over-communication, it means that when people do have questions, it's a little bit less stressful to ask. Um, And that giving people updates is appropriate um, rather than bothering people. And that kind of shift makes a big difference in terms of how we operate as a team. We're still implementing a lot of these things. But that runs counter to a lot of project management that I end up seeing people implement, which is very much like do this and never talk to me about it again. And while I do want our team to be able to be autonomous in their projects and not be micromanaged and feel like they have everything they need, sending people off and saying, figure this out, never talk to me, um, that's not management, (laughs) that's abandonment. And as a team, often our best ideas come when we talk things out together. The final thing that we did kind of management and operations wise was we extended our team meetings every week. We had been doing kind of quick check-in meetings We've actually extended them and they're now usually about an hour long because we're actively addressing challenges together on the call. At our stage of business, we really don't need meetings more than once a week in general, sometimes for some specific projects we do. But this idea that actually maybe meetings are not evil (laughs) was pretty important for us to start to embrace. You know, a lot of companies I think run with probably way too many meetings, but I see this reaction, especially in like entrepreneur spaces of people being like, oh, well, meetings are a waste of time. And meetings are not a waste of time if you do them correctly. Again, this comes back to valuing actual human interaction and actual human communication. Your team is not like, they're not widgets, right? These are people (laughs) and you're not a widget, you're a person. So having these meetings that they have a structure, we follow the same structure every single week, Um, And that structure is designed to make sure that everyone gets the feedback that they need on the projects they're working on. It's also a time where anybody can ask me any questions um, that they, you know, anything they need feedback on, anything they need help on. So we're a very small team right now. Access to me is very easy to get. But as we grow and we have more people, it might be a little bit harder to get on my schedule on a given day, right? Or, you know, it might be that my response time gets a little bit longer depending on what we're working on. So having these set points where people know that they can get what they need from me is really important as well. Um, I think the best, I think the best founders and the best kind of business owners are people who are available to their team, right? People who are actually actively engaging with their team. So these are some things that we do differently. This is, I think, what starts to happen when you question the status quo and filter it through your values and say, what are the things that we can do differently? Um, And For me, a lot of these are important because my personal desires don't always mesh with my values, which is kind of something I think that maybe we don't always talk about in business, right? The business's values are not always what I desire. I'm going to be honest. I'm an introvert. I really don't like meetings. (laughs) I don't like meetings. I find them kind of stressful. Um, I mean, I'm usually happy when I'm on them, but having a meeting on Monday mornings, uh, Monday mornings, I tend to... Uh, be really ready to get into work and I end up you know the day is basically taken up with meetings at this point and that's not what I personally desire but it is what's best for the business and negotiating the spaces where my desires come first and where the business's needs comes first is also really an important value shift right the business especially as it grows and it scales and it serves more people and you hire more people it's not about you your needs and desires matter of course But your desires are not going to be primary in the business anymore. The business's needs and desires become primary. So balancing your boundaries with what the business needs and doing that in a way that's actually respectable of your business, your team, and your customers, I think that that is actually a very different way to approach operations like we talked about today. 
right? What is best for the other people too? And where can we find the overlaps? I don't love meetings. It's not really like the kind of thing I'm into, but that one meeting a week makes a massive difference in our team and what we're able to do and how we're able to do it. So it is worth it for me to do a meeting every week, even if I, it's again, not my favorite. I mean, I like our meetings fine. It's just in my, my world, my dream desire world, I probably would never have a meeting again, <laughs> but that's not what we need. So I think I'll leave us with that, right? But ultimately, when you have your values clear, if you're in HBA, go back and do the core values lesson again um, or revisit your work from there. But if you're not in HBA, just think about what do you really value? When your values are clear, you're able to figure out where to prioritize with the business needs and how to discern with the business needs and how it's different than maybe just like your preferences as a human and a, and, a, and a person. Your preferences are important and they should be taken into account. And this is not the same, of course, as letting your business run, you know, run you ragged. But it is about negotiating the balance, the the relationship between your values for the business and your own personal needs. And ultimately, if we ask these questions, I mean, the key question is, what is something I assume has to be done this way, right? What is something I assume has to be done with project management, with team management, with scaling, with hiring? Even on the hiring front, I can't tell you how many people told me I should only be hiring contractors because, yeah, because employees were too much of a risk financially at our stage, even though the positions I needed to hire for are legally employee positions, right? Just because everybody is hiring contractors to avoid the responsibility of employees doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. Ask these questions for yourself. Is this what I actually believe? And instead of just looking at it through your sales and marketing and your offers, remember your entire business as an ecosystem is an opportunity to reflect these values. And um, this isn't about getting it perfect, right? We're going to be continuing to grow and make changes. But I hope that just hearing about how I'm thinking about this, some of the changes we're making, some of the big questions we're asking, that'll inspire you to ask your own. And yes, even if it's just you in your business, things like sick days, <laughs> project management, all of that applies to you as well. All right, y'all, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you today about this. I hope something in here has been useful. I know I gave you the advance warning that I'm a little sick and now my voice is about to go anyway. So this might have been a little bit more rambly than I would have liked, but ultimately what I'm hoping to do is to open this discussion and say that as your business grows, your values need to apply to the business itself as well. Um, and that this is a place where we can get curious and start to think of what becomes possible for us as business owners um, when we do have the benefits of scale behind us and how our values then can shine through the way that we do our work. I will see you all next week. Bye for now.